You're listening to Fuel Radio, inspiration and training to fuel your day. Now here's your host, Rod Jans. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Fuel Radio. On the line with me today is Derek Champagne. Derek is an entrepreneur, an author, and a branding and marketing consultant. We're going to get into his story a little bit here, so I won't do too much of an introduction. And I just want to say thank you for joining me today, Derek. Oh, thank you so much for having me as a guest. I've heard great things about your show, and I know your listeners are in good hands. So thanks for, thanks for spotlighting ways for entrepreneurs and solopreneurs to grow. Good. I want to get into some tips and provide some value for our listeners. But before we do that, it sounds like you have a pretty interesting entrepreneurial story. Why don't you share a little bit of that with us? Sure. The successes and the failures. Because <laughs> we can learn uh, from both, right? <laughs> I'll, I'll weave it around. And I'll tell you, I, I equally had a love for music and for, for business most of my life. At three years old, I was on stage for the first time. My parents were part-time touring musicians. And so I had an opportunity to go on the road with them early on and just fall in love with making a connection, fostering connections. I saw kind of the rough business side because booking shows and doing all that is a business as well. So I loved them both. So at 11 years old, I had my first business, which was a band. So my parents were driving us around and taking us to shows from Nashville to a 10 mile radius. We were getting dropped off like they were our personal chauffeurs. And, uh, and so that's when I started learning about business. Uh, I bought my first company at 18 years old. I bought a franchise. It, it was from President Baking Company out of California. And I, uh, I built it up. And basically what that meant is I, I had a warehouse filled with cookies. And I want to talk about a warehouse. I'm talking about a massive warehouse. So picture being eight years old, or, sorry, 18 years old and learning for the first time about inventory the hard way, right? So I had to learn about perishable goods. My, my clients were clients like Walmart and, and the, the chain stores like that in three states and I had the rights to like famous Amos cookies and Marietta Jacksonville vanilla wafers all famous brands here in the states at least and uh, and so that was my first introduction I built that up I learned a lot of hard lessons I learned a lot about promotions and corporate franchising things and I actually tripled the value of the business and sold it about two years later so that was my first experience I had a couple other companies I had a janitorial company that put me through college sold that as well uh, moved to California, had an opportunity to go into the music business. I mentioned I was into music, and, and so I did it at a higher level there. I was playing four nights a week on the Sunset Strip. I was the bass player at Johnny Depp's club, the Viper Room, on Sunday nights, and that was, that was my life for a long time. I had a marketing promotional company out there, and we were, we were doing guerrilla marketing. So it's such a competitive space. It's where I really learned to hone my marketing skills at a higher level because there was so much competition in music, so much competition for entertainment, and so... Uh, what we did was we had, we had street teams, guerrilla teams that were promoting brand, brands all over uh, Hollywood. So fast forward a few years past that, and I had a couple other companies in Los Angeles. A few of them didn't do well, and I'll go into a couple of reasons why they didn't here in a few minutes. But then I had the opportunity to move back to where I was from, back in Northwest Arkansas. And I ended up working for this agency, and I, I wasn't really loving it. Uh, but our, our clients were clients like Dial, T-Mobile, Rubbermaid, Crayola, all big clients and Basically, we're here in Northwest Arkansas, as we talked about before the show started, is it's, uh, it's Walmart and retail marketing mecca. Walmart headquarters are here, worldwide headquarters. In 2007, I believe, they made a, a, a mandate that any, any vendor doing business with Walmart worldwide had to put a physical office in Northwest Arkansas. So you can imagine the growth that happened at an international level to this little town in the Ozark Mountains of Arkansas. And it suddenly overnight became more of a affluent type area with with uh, more, more commerce happening. Uh, 
about a year into working for that that agency, I just I realized that I was passionate about marketing and that I had done had experience in, in business for several years, trial and error. And I decided I wanted to go out on my own and start my own agency. So in a very Jerry Maguire, if you've seen that movie, very Jerry Maguire-esque type moment, uh, it just happened when I was talking to the, to the ownership. Uh, I said, this is a really good fit. And they said, what's interesting is we're letting some clients go right now. And uh, I was in over my head to, to have an agency at the time. Uh, but I remember going out in the parking lot and I remember sitting there and calling a client and letting him go. We were told we had to fire this list of clients. They just weren't big enough for our, the agency where we were going. So the bad news is I got to let you go. It got really quiet. And I said, the good news is, is I can take you on. I'm going venturing out on my own. And I uh, got really quiet. <laughs> and then I heard, heard, what time can you get here? Started the car and that was my first client. We're celebrating 11 years. We celebrated 11 years last week. So we've made it over a decade, which is the longest business I've had. It's the most successful company I've had because I've learned from my successes and failures over the years. And now I've had the opportunity, which, which I wish I had back in the early days when I was doing my other businesses, of reviewing over 1,500 brands now, seeing what works and what doesn't work. So that's what we help clients do all over the country. It's what my book's about, is the five crisis points in marketing. So now our sweet spot of my agency and what we do is helping businesses build their strategic campaigns and then implement them. Because we see great creative strategy, but if it's not met with good implementation and execution, then it doesn't really do any good. So our job is to build good strategy and then marry them together. So that's kind of a quick snapshot of my entrepreneurial background. I've had a few other businesses in there that did well at first. They were great ideas. They were early to market, uh, lost focus. Sometimes entrepreneurs, we see shiny objects and we like to build something and move on before we really set up our infrastructure correctly. Uh, and that, that was my problem. One of the other things that I should have learned early on was to listen to others. I was one of those entrepreneurs in the early days where I held my cards close. I didn't collaborate. I felt if I was to share something, then that was, then that was going to be my competitive advantage lost. What I've learned along the way is that with the right partnerships, even some of my competition can be collaborators and that the right masterminds and the right coaches and the right sharing of information actually is power. So hmm. wish I had known that 15 years ago, but a lesson well learned <laughs> now. So. Yeah, that's a My great story. point. Yeah, excellent. Thanks for sharing that with us. You I have bet. to ask you one question about your story that you didn't cover. It okay. says that you lived in a teepee. <laughs> <laughs> that was in my early years. When my parents, in the early 70s, my parents basically were retiring and they picked a spot on that. They're from the East Coast and they looked on the map and they said, this was in the 70s, keep in mind. And they looked on the map and they said, there's a place called Arkansas. It looks like a great place to, to go. And they had the guitars and the Winnebago and Sure enough, the, hip, the, the hippie teepee lifestyle seemed cool. So in my early years for a while, I lived on a commune and I lived in a teepee. So, <laughs> wow. So yeah, that, that was how I started life. So, yeah, that, that's an interesting part. It's got to all be up from here, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, you covered a lot of some of the questions that I would have asked you, just, you know, how you got your first client and, and that sort of thing. Uh, you've written a book and you mentioned covering the five crisis points in marketing, maybe you could just share with them, share with us them one at a time, and just share one at a time. And and as you share one, if I have a follow up question, I'd like to ask you that. If I don't, I'll just say move on to number two. So sounds um, good. I'd okay. Love to share. Here's the <laughs> thing: I didn't just come up with these on my own. I came up with these from auditing all these brands. And keep in mind, I've worked with startups across the country to household brands, international pizza company I've worked with. I've worked with Ivy League schools. So we've seen these issues from startups to household brands. So if they sound simple, they are. But that's why I'm bringing them up. So, well, guys, ladies and gentlemen, if we can cover these five areas, you can get traction in your marketing. 
but let's not miss these things. And in my book, I say, before you spend another penny, if you don't know what you're doing, if you're not getting the best return from everything, I'm going to ask you to pause for 117 pages and let's get on the same page. And when you know these things, you will get a lot better traction. So the first one is really simple. It's who am I? Really understanding who your business is going to be. And that sounds very surface level and generic, but I mean like this, I want you to visualize and we have our clients do this. We say, I want you to look at the framework that you want to be known for. Like what's your framework? And I don't know. Okay, well sit down and let's figure it out. You don't have to have it all figured out. That's why I called it framework, right? A framework. Mm-hmm. And, and I want you to look down five years from now for your business. Even if you just start and go, Hey, how, what do I want people saying about me? What are the moods and emotions that I want people to be experiencing? Think of like a Starbucks, think of an international brand, whether you like them or not, you know what your experience is going to be when you interact with them. So I want you to visualize that same thing. Are you a boutique brand? What kind of warm feelings do they get about you? What is happening around you? And as part of that, who am I? I don't want you to just understand who you are. I want you to understand who your competition is. And not so you can copy them. I get asked that often. Well, so you can copy them? You're not supposed to copy your competition, Derek. I know that. I'm not saying copy them. I'm saying understand what your competition is doing around you so that you understand the landscape of the, of the entire industry you're in. That's powerful to do because number one is it lets you know where your voice can stand out. You see what all your competition is doing. Here's, here's what kind of PR they're doing. Here's what kind of SEO they're doing. Here's how their kind of community involvement. Here's how they're rolling up their sleeves and involved, being involved in your particular target communities. Here's what they're doing with the traditional media like direct mail, radio, print, uh, billboards. Here's what they're doing on social media. Here's the kind of engagement they're getting. And here's what they're generally saying, good or bad. And that's when you start to go, oh, this is my, this is my landscape. And, and now we know who our target customers are. We get all that. So now I know how I can stand out. So I'm not trying to copy them. I wanted to see where there's a gap for me to communicate in a unique way and share my unique proposition that, is, that no one else can copy. So, yeah, I, I guess that kind of keeps, helps to keep people motivated as well, right? Like if you're, it's, we hear a lot about authenticity and that sort of thing. And uh, if you're not, being who you are or who you're created to be, even in business, I would imagine people lose motivation and, and drive over time. But as long as you're being true to who you are, that probably helps you stay in the pocket and stay motivated. Yeah, Rod, I'm glad you brought that up because that's another, that's kind of a dovetail question that happens a lot it says, yeah. well, is that, all, is, is that ethical to try to, you're talking about imagine who you are and then trying to be that person. Is that authentic? Yes. I'm saying be authentic, but aspire to be something. Yeah, who do you want to be as well, right? Who do you want to be is the question. Yeah. If you know who you want to be, then you can start to bring all your core values up to meet that. You can start to bring your your staff training up to meet that. You can start to bring your brand consistency up to meet that. You can bring your tools that you need for the campaign up to meet that. You can start to empower your employees who are tools and brand ambassadors to share the right things about who you're going to be. You can start to share with your referrals who say, how do I refer you? Well, here's who we want to be. Our agency just did a niche down just after 10 years. It took us 10 years to refigure this out. And we yeah. want to be the, the aspirational agency that you work with in two categories. And so for us, we had to say, let's shape that perception. Let's have people lining up to work with us instead of us taking on everybody and searching for customers. Let's mm-hmm. flip it. So here's who we aspire to be. And Excellent. everything we do points that direction. That gets overlooked so often. It's so critical. And it's really an exercise you should do. Yeah. I, I find as an entrepreneur, I get started on certain things and then I, I lose focus, like you mentioned earlier. And a lot of times it's because I'm not doing things that are 
as you know, aren't, aren't who I am. <laughs> They're outside of who I am and who I want to be. So it, it seems like a good idea at the time. And then I go, Oh crap, this isn't who I really am. This isn't what I want to be doing. And we get distracted so easily too. And you know, yeah. cause there's so many shiny objects out there. So it seems like every time and, and I'll, this, this ties in with all five crisis points, but try, just try logging into LinkedIn or Facebook and not getting hit with a new solution, a new funnel. Yeah, exactly. a new magic formula i might yeah. have one out there that, that i'm promoting too but yeah. just so it's easy to go oh okay and get distracted and go this direction but if you know who you are and who you're aspiring to be you can keep going back like a compass and going okay true north true north let's go back to this yeah and that makes all your resources go that direction too those strategies are almost secondary to that first question right that first crisis question Thank you. You got it. Yes, yeah. you got it. And I can't tell you how many audits I've done, hundreds and hundreds of them, where I go into a company that's spending, let's just make this up, but 50000 a month or yeah. more or less. And, and they're saying, well, this isn't working. And I, gotta, I go in, I go, well, why isn't it working? And, and we start digging. And a lot of times we come up to that very first one and go, man, don't, don't do anything else until you've got that part down. Mm-hmm. The rest of it will layer on appropriately. It doesn't have to be complicated. But we do have to get intentional and focused. Excellent. So what's, what's point number two? Point number two, another one sounds simple, but who are they? <laughs> Understanding your target customer and, and, and not just in a surface level, because I can't tell you times, how many times I've seen ads miss and communication miss because they just didn't really take the time. And if you have a significant other and they're a vegan and you take them to the best steakhouse in town, how's that going to work out for you? <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. But that's what we're doing with our customers. We're missing Often, often we miss. We're assuming what they want. We're misunderstanding them. You got to understand more than their age, their gender, their income, their political affiliations, their marital status, their religions, their stage of life. All of the. I've had I've had clients that didn't know the geographical location of their customer. Now that sounds like wow, what a what a misnomer. Well, it was, but it was a it was a hunting apparel company, and they were trying to figure out where they were. So they're just throwing money out there to see what sticks. No. That's not what you do. So here's one trick. Here's one really, really simple trick to understand. Yeah, that's, that's great. I was going to ask you, have any tips on how to figure out yeah. who your well, ideal here, clients are, or what, here, who they one. are? <laughs> I've got a bunch of them, but here's one. Here, yeah. one is to, it's just, if you have existing customers, this is, again, so simple, but I'm a simple guy, and what we do works. <laughs> ask them. <laughs> Can you imagine that? We forget to do that so often. We've seen so much money wasted, then we go, so what the, what's your customer saying? And they're like, why didn't you ask them? We consulted a guy last week who just was, had no idea. And I said, hey, put together a survey and let me see it. They put together a survey and within four days, he had a huge sample of his target customer audience and what was important to them. And then we knew, he didn't even, but I'm proud of him because he came to me first and it was just a buddy and I just did him a quick favor. So to ask these questions, he did all the work. I just said, make a survey and ask these kinds of things. When it was done, the data told us something. There wasn't loyalty. Now we know how to build the brand. Now we know who we're talking to. Now we know what tools to use. Now we know we have a unique voice. Now now we're on to something. But don't go launching that thing before then. He's like, I don't know where to start. I'm like, you better not know where to start. You don't know who you're talking to and what they want. So let's figure that out first. Surveys are so powerful, aren't they? You can learn so much. It's always, there's always like one or two nuggets that like aha moments. That I'm like, oh man, I wish I'd asked that question sooner. This is incredible. <laughs> I, and it's simple to do. It's simple to do is to ask them. And let, yeah. me give you another, let me give you another hint that that's worked really well for us. We're big in research. We have interns that come in here and research with us from the University of Arkansas. And almost every one of them says, I had no idea there was that much research involved in, in mm. marketing. I'm like, yeah, there is because others have paved the way. So we can go and look and see what they've done. 
So if you're taking a new product to market that really there's nothing like it. Let's say you just, you're like, I don't think there's anything like this, but you have an idea who your target customer is. What you can do is you can go see, look for the larger brands, go and look and see, let's say that you have a, that you find some cross similarities between your target customer and Nike. Well then go and look for Nike studies. Go and look mm-hmm. how they were talking. Go look at the primary research they did, what level of intimacy they took into finding out that target customer's needs and desires. And that's all free other than your time. So you can actually piggyback off of a primary research study of someone not even in your own industry because you see they have a similar target. Now you can go from that primary research and get some better data. We've done, we've saved hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars in primary research by just piggybacking onto what state studies have done here. There's a National Wildlife Federation. We've taken that data, hundreds of pages of research and just combed through that. They did the money, the work, someone else did the study and we got to look at the data. Great way it's perfect. So the third thing, because I think you're yeah. going to ask the next thing, <laughs> is are the tools, having the right tools. And I'll make this fast. And this sounds simple too, using the right tools. We almost were guilty of this recently where we were, re- we were doing a niche down for our own agency and someone said, let's just use the website and, and let's roll this campaign out. And I said, but it doesn't do what we need it to do. So if you've taken the time to understand yourself and who your customers, take the extra time to make sure that the tools you're using, whether it be what your brand looks like, whether it be your outreach tools, your landing pages, and don't just put a piece of scotch tape on it and say good enough. Make sure it matches the level of what you want to do. I've seen countless campaigns get stuck because they weren't willing to fix the tool, but they put all the money and they're bottlenecking the results of their campaign because they're not willing to fix the tools to make them the best that they can be. That kind of a branding issue too, isn't it? Like you want it to be a certain quality and reflect who you are again, right? It, it absolutely is. I call the brand's Bermuda Triangle too when the brand's getting stuck in that yeah. effectiveness of their campaigns. And a lot of times we find it tracking back to those first three crisis points. And it absolutely is a branding issue. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And how about number four? Number four is having a plan. I have a chapter in my book that says, if things aren't going to according to plan, then perhaps you don't have a plan. And commonly, even again with big companies, we see that there's not an organized plan. And if you don't know where you're going, how do you know how you're going to get there? So we teach in my book, I show how to build an integrated, camp- integrated campaign. It's, it's critical to say, here is, here's our objectives, here's where we wanna go, and here's how we're gonna get there. And we get very, we use the 12 week year, which is a Brian Moran book that I love. And we use that even with our client's implementation. And we get very specific with our lead and lag indicators. And so if we have a plan, we say, we wanna get to here, we wanna sell X number. Okay, great, well, what does that look like? That looks like, uh, that looks like 15 LinkedIn messages a week. And it looks like uh, $1,500 a month on this thing with this expectation of a conversion. And we build out every single step. There's no guesswork. So when we come in to execute, we're not guessing. We know there's 10 of these, 15 of these, three of these a week, two of these a week. And it's very numerical. And we do that without fail. And we do that without fail, we start to get results. And I like to build a, cam- a campaign in three different categories. Think of three buckets. And this works well for us from, from startups to national brands. The left side is all about new customer acquisition. Everything I do here, every single thing I put here, two or three top things you're gonna do, everything I put here, every dollar I put in, I expect an X return on that dollar. It's weighted heavily here. Everything I'm doing here, I expect a return. It's not podcasting necessarily, because I do that as well. It's not, it's not a blue skies category, it is where am I getting a return? The middle one is your internal marketing bucket. And that is, everything I do here is about keeping my customers my current customers, because a lot of us have a finite number of customers. So if you're always in new customer acquisition mode, but you're not keeping them and there's holes in the buckets, then you're gonna burn through your entire niche and you have nothing left. And then who are you gonna go market to? 
And so take care of your existing customers, cross pollinate service with them, build partnerships, build referral campaigns. So you've got your weighted category, every dollar, you've got your retention category and, and awareness and cross pollination category. And then that third bucket is all about blue skies and goodwill. And everything there you're doing is to, to look like you're always rolling up your sleeves and living and breaking bread and living in the community of your target customer so that you're always top of mind and tip of tongue. Those three together are a really healthy integrated campaign that builds not just sales and conversions, but builds market share. You can take over market share. And we build a lot of campaigns where we go in and go, how do we, how can we own market share here? That's the way they do it. Well, wow, that's great. And what's number five? Number five, execution. <laughs> Nothing matters without execution. Nothing matters without execution. We've seen so many plans are like, well, we did that. Really? How long? And so someone told me they were podcasting. I said, great. And I went and looked up their podcast and they'd done two podcasts two years ago. Well, that's not a podcast. That means you recorded something twice, but it's not a podcast. And so execution is so important. I use a football analogy and football is all about first downs. Good football, good football. It's not always that, that 90 yard throw. A lot of it is about first yard at a time. And that's what your business goals and your marketing should be as well. And it's all about, you not got to know who your quarterback is. Every campaign, everything in your company. If it's you, if you're a solopreneur, then it's you. But guess what, buddy? You got to get it done or you're not going to get moved forward. These are tried and true principles that have helped us grow our companies and thousands of others are using these principles. First down, first down, first down. When you keep making first downs, the goal is a first down. You look back, you're farther down the field than you were, and there's your end zone. That's your goal line. That's your vision. That's your goals. If you're consistent in your execution, you will get to the other side. Always. You might have to make some adjustments, but you'll always get there. Yeah, that's a good perspective. I like that. So the book is called Don't Buy a Duck. <laughs> Don't buy a duck. How, how, how did you come up with the title? What's <laughs> when I was eight years old, um, my, my uh, mom always had these cars that would, uh, would stop at yard sales, whether we needed something or not. Always. So I spent a lot of time at yard sales. One particular day with this 1984 Oldsmobile station wagon. Remember those wood paneling green, their yard sale chariot. Went to an estate sale and I walked around the corner, never wanted one before, won't want one again. But there was a real duck sitting there. Had a, had a string on its web foot. Eight years old, the stars aligned for me. I said, mom, I got to have that. And she knew something I didn't apparently. She goes, are you sure? I had to have it. So put it in the box, put it in the back of the car. And every one of your listeners can relate to this called buyer's remorse. When the, when the, the idea and the act of buying it fed you more than actually having the product itself and the use you can get out of it. And that happens to us as business owners so much. And so in real time, that duck flew out of that cardboard box like an albatross. Its wingspan took the entire length of the car, almost made us wreck. We got out of the car, put it to the neighbor's pond where he lived for the rest of his life. And I learned my lesson, don't buy a duck. And if you have a duck, don't get stuck with the duck. Let's figure out how to drop it off at the neighbor's pond. So the book talks about, we go through all the different types of media. We talk about how to set a budget. We talk about, one chapter says the yellow pages are dead and other lies businesses tell themselves. I know the yellow pages are dead. It's meant to ruffle feathers so that people open and look at it. But the point is don't just rule something that is don't rule something dead just because you rule it dead. Mm -hmm. If you really understand who you are and who your customer is, then you could objectively look at all ways of building bridges to break bread with them and have a relationship. And a lot of times we forget that I have seen customers who are trying to digitally reach their neighbor who is physically across the street. And sometimes it makes sense to open the door, walk across the street and shake their hand and, and do business with them. Yeah. So don't rule out common sense and don't rule out practical ways and adopt the new. And I talk about how to marry those two together to build a great integrated campaign so that you don't get stuck with the duck 
and you make really good marketing decisions. Yeah. It's, I'm, you remind me of something. I'm working with a guy right now. He's an older gentleman, brilliant guy, and he's very good at what he does, but he's used to using the phone. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> so, so often I'm going to, I want to send him a, an email or whatever about an, uh, setting up a meeting. And I think, no, his way of doing things is to use the phone. And it, it cuts down on the time. It really is a great, it's a great thing. It's, it's one of those simple things again, right? But right. why send four or five emails when I could just pick up the phone and, and get and it? That may, and that may be what you they're know. looking for. We, we yeah. are closing a customer right now and we do all kinds, I'm telling you, we do all kinds of strategies. We're, we're for the new strategies too. We, we use the new technology. We embrace it all. We have great and great campaigns. But someone new is using us. It's a great contract force because someone called. And they said, yeah. I was looking for an agency and, and we became one of the three top choices because someone from my team just called them. They were, <laughs> they were, yeah. they were never going to find us ever. Yeah. And yeah. so that allowed us to reach them. So just that's the idea is to think differently about your marketing. You see, I try to make things simple, go back to the basics, but embrace what works. Yeah. Really good stuff, Derek. So one of the things that we talk, well, we, on the feel on, on uh, fuelradio.com. We're talking about a Wi-Fi lifestyle. So working where you want from where you want and working with who you want. And one of the keys to that is leveraging your time. I'm wondering if you have a, 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 a something that helps you to leverage your time. I've got two things. Is this a technology or just a way or just a practice in my life? Either one. Yeah. A practice in my life that I do is I block my time very intentionally. And I give credit to two books. One is a 12 week year by Brian Moran. And one is Deep Work by Cal Newport. And I have my days, I have 10 hours blocked for my day. And I don't work 10 hours, but I have 10 hours blocked for my day. And that includes one hour of exercise, includes an hour of personal time, whether that be me just taking my own time. And I block that in my day. I have two hours of blocked family time. And let me tell you why I do that. I block those two hours of family time because I can't just give them the end of my day. Because I can give you my best right now. And I'm giving you my best. I am. And your listeners. But what good does that do me in the balance as an, as an entrepreneur if then I go home and my family gets the, the exhausted tank? And that's what we always do. We do many times we do that to our family. So my day is blocked very intentionally and I have 10 hours blocked and I know exactly what I'm doing during those 10 hours. Two hours is sales and business development, one hour is personal development, and that whole 10 hours is blocked. And if you think about it, that's only from six to four o'clock. And I've also intentionally had to exercise personal time and family time. And I still have the rest of my time to be jolly Derek or tired Derek. <laughs> and so that's been one of my keys and I've adopted it recently and it's been a life changer for me because I proactively get to set my blocks and not get derailed. And that's how you build bigger visions and start to move pieces around like chess pieces to get to do bigger things. I bet it helps you with your focus. Hey, like there's things that kind of get left behind. You forget about new customer acquisition, for example, or whatever. It almost needs to be, I find those kinds of things I need to have blocks of time to remind myself to do it or to remind myself to work on my own company uh, rather than just always working on my working for my clients. And, you know, otherwise my own company begins to slide and doesn't get the attention that it needs. That is the challenge of a small business owner is we have to work in because we are the executioners and we're the practitioners, but we, we have to also put on that visionary hat. It's our, it's our obligation if we want to as best we can control the destiny and growth of our companies. It won't happen if we don't block that time. So you're, you're probably familiar with Simon Sinek. I'm just wondering if what your why is, why do you do what you do? I do what I do uh, because I love building things. I'm going to build something. 
I'm going to build something. I always am. I love building things. Since I was a kid, I've always loved creating things. Uh, I don't, I don't love the ongoing management as much, but I love, I'm in my sweet spot when I'm creating something. It works out well for me in my agency because we get to help businesses create things. So even if I get bored with the day to day in my company, I get to go in and tinker and help with creating companies. So it right keeps on. it fresh for me. Good. I totally relate to that. <laughs> That's similar to my, uh, to my <laughs> why and something I enjoy doing as well. So we just want to finish up with a few quick questions. And what's a, what's a resource that inspires you? A blog, a book? You've mentioned a couple of good books. I wrote those down. We'll definitely have those in the show notes as well. But what's something recently that has uh, inspired you? Yeah, another one that I really like, and I, I'm, I'm biased because I'm in his mastermind, but if, if you're familiar with Aaron Walker or View from the Top, uh, has been life-changing for me personally and professionally to be a part of that mastermind. And then be, the book itself is just such a great resource. What's, what's something from that that's really made a difference for you? And Aaron is really open about, uh, about the challenges he's had and the failures he's had, but he's been wildly successful too. But one of the biggest things that it gave me was to show me, you know, you can hit a certain level of success and success means different things for so many different people. So I would never try to define that for anyone. I ask that often of others because I'm just curious. Uh, but it, it brought in the significance part. And something in my life that I was looking for was more significance because success is great, but how do you bring it up to where you can actually enjoy it? A lot of times entrepreneurs, we're, we're wired to where it's hard to stay satisfied unless we're continuing to churn and produce. But at what point do we see some return from that as far as satisfaction and, and being able to be comfortable and relaxed for a minute? So for me, I never want to get complacent, but I was able to find out how to be significant instead of complacent. And that's what yeah. that book teaches how to do. And it's, it's, just an amazing book that resonated with me. Good. Derek, you're speaking my language today. This is great. <laughs> Love it. You talked about blocking out your time. What's a business tool? What's another business tool that helps you to leverage your time and live a, live a Wi-Fi lifestyle? Mm, that's a great question. There's a couple of business tools I love, but Trello, if you're familiar with Trello, we love that. Uh, for our onboarding of clients and for our whole process, we use Proposify. And then, which is, it's, it's game changing if you have to submit proposals. Submit it in Proposify or similar type. It, it will increase your conversion significantly. Um, and then also uh, uh, using Trello to map out the process for them. Those have been two of the biggest ones. Last one, if I could throw it out, is a, is a video service like a Loom or a BombBomb video have been uh, a game changers as well in increasing communication. Uh, open rate is 100%. So if you want to see somebody open your email and watch your video, they're going to You've got a better chance of communicating with them and you can see when they're opening it, if they're reading it. And so far we've got hundred percent open rate and hundred percent response rate. Great. How do you use Loom? Like I've added it to my browser, but I haven't really used it yet. So what's, what's, what's an example of how you use it with your clients? Well, I talked about segment. I talked about making my 12 week year, my list, right? So one of the things on my list is without fail, by the way, those are two mantras in my life. My business, my, anyone on my team can tell you that way. everything we do is without fail. That means if I tell you we're going to do something, we promise we're going to do it. And so without fail, every week I send out two Loom videos every Friday. And that is no matter what, even if I don't, I, I might send one to you on Friday. I'm going to send it out to build my partnerships, my relationships, to send thank yous. And it's really simple. You just, just press record and then you type in the email and it sends it off. So okay. that's a way to keep expanding your reach. And we do that. I do that every Friday without fail. So you might use it like an email, but instead it's a video of it's a video message instead of typing something in. That's it. A video yeah. message because we're animated people, many of us. And so they get to see the other. So if you see me doing this, 
in an email, you're more likely to click and open it, right? And then if I just go, hey, it's great to see you. But if I give you a visual thank you, you're probably more likely to remember that uh, in a sales situation and it works out really well. Cool. And what's a cause or a nonprofit or something that's near and dear to your heart that you want to give a shout out to? Oh, there's several that I like, but there's one that I really think is cool that uh, is someone I got to develop a relationship with. And they, it is a, it's a, a Villy's Remarkable Cause. And uh, that's something that this guy was on Shark Tank. He got a deal with uh, Barbara and with Mark Cuban. And, and I've had a chance to uh, get to know him over the last couple of years, do a promotion with him. Uh, they own Villy Customs, but Fleetwoods, it's a, it's Villy's a Remarkable Cause. And they basically give bikes to kids with cancer. They throw mm-hmm. a big party for them. Uh, it's just a beautiful thing. These kids are going through a low time. They surprise them and uh, give them a bike, have a huge party. But people like the Dallas Mavericks show up and the mayor and you, you name it. And it's just hundreds of people celebrating them and investing in them. That's, that's one that really touches my heart. Yeah. Well, it's, how does that touch your heart? Why is that one near and, and dear to you? You know, I just, I, I think that uh, just when you see kids, I mean, it's just really anything with kids always touches my heart. I, part of my story I didn't share is that I grew up with, with uh, three adopted sisters, uh, with foster kids in our home, with, uh, with homeless people in our house. So, so we always had, you know, 10 to 20 people at any given time living in my home my entire life because, you know, the, the homeless shelter would call and say, hey, we have someone in the same place. And they would say, send them over. And so we, that's just how I grew up was to, to seeing my family always focused on helping other people that we're, we're uh, having a hard time. So, Excellent. Well, Derek, it's been a pleasure talking to you. I just, I love the things that you shared today and I love your heart. I can tell you're a big hearted guy and thank you for taking the time to talk to us today. And Rod, thank you so much for having me. It's been an honor. And if people want to find out more about your company and about the book, how do people, what's, what's a good way for people to look you up? Yeah, thank you. Uh, for the book, it's uh, don'tbuyaduck.com or you can text duck to 58885 and I've got free resources there's no spamming and then I've got a cool I've got a free webinar too right now that I just put out I'm really excited about and it's at marketingstrategywebinar.net and I go through and talk about the five crisis points and we have some other special offers and some free consulting and free assessments and things like that and then uh, if you want to find me on LinkedIn Derek Champagne on LinkedIn I'm very active on there and we do I do weekly book giveaways to different authors and try to spotlight other people and and uh, just build a good network there. Okay, so for our listeners, we'll have links to all of those things. If you're listening on iTunes or some other platform, we'll have links to all of those things in our show notes. And again, thanks again, Derek. Thank you so much. Take care. You've been listening to Fuel Radio.